You're listening to audio from Highland Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. To find out more about Highland, go to www.hbcwaco.org. Amen. Well, good morning. Uh, My name is Drew Humphrey. I'm so honored to be a member of this church with you. I have the privilege of serving as college pastor, and I'm thankful today to be able to continue in this series called Steady Faith that Pastor John began last week. It was Harriet Tubman who, she was born in 1822. And at that time, by the time she was 27 years old, so not even by her 30th birthday, she had begun freeing the slaves and the Underground Railroad. And in all, she would free around 300 slaves uh, over the course of 19 trips uh, into the enemy territory, going back to where she herself had came from. And I mean, the odds were stacked against her as an African-American, as a former slave, as a woman. And yet she was able to do this over and over and over again and was able to free 300 slaves. And one of her most proudest things that she loved to say was that on all of her trips, on all of those railroad you know, trips, she never lost a single passenger. She told that to so many people. But one of the things that we know about her is that one of her daily prayers was this. Lord, I'm going to hold steady onto you and you've got to see me through. Lord, I'm going to hold steady onto you. Lord, you have to see me through. Can you imagine the long journeys, the the secret journeys that she was on, the the long nights, the, the going between places and hoping that she doesn't get caught, the fear. I can imagine every day her praying this prayer at times, every hour, even every moment, Lord, I'm going to hold steady onto you and you will see me through. This is our prayer for this series, that in this time that you would hold steady onto God. You know that a year ago, uh, Pastor John, he was planning out the sermons for 2020. And as he was preparing for this, over a year ago, God gave him this sermon series idea, Steady Faith. Long before pandemics, long before economic collapse, God had been preparing our church for this. And it's our prayer, like Harriet, that we could say, Lord, we're gonna hold steady onto you, hold steady onto God alone. And so we wanna continue that this week as we, as we move into this second week of our series. We're gonna be in 2 Corinthians chapter four today. So if you're with me today, if you wanna open up your Bible, if you're not on your phone, of course, if you're not streaming on your phone, you could use your phone, find somewhere. We're gonna be in 2 Corinthians chapter four the entire morning, so you can stay there. 2 Corinthians is in the New Testament, so it's towards the back of your Bible. If you're new to the Bible, you've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, then you've got a couple more books, Acts and Romans, and then you'll find the Corinthians right there. We're going to be in second Corinthians chapter four. This is a letter from Paul to a church who he deeply loves. Paul has already visited this church, the Corinthians. He's visited them twice before. He wants to visit a third time. We have these two letters that he's written to them. We have actually other letters, other documents that we know that he's sent to them as well. So he's constantly in communication with them. He loves them and he's trying to encourage their faith as their church is growing. And as we look into this chapter today, I just wanna challenge you a lot of times, maybe in the past, as you've heard a sermon or opened up the word and read a passage on something like struggling or something like steadying your faith in the midst of trials, most of the time in a room of a church, a congregation, 
a small percentage of the people are currently going through a trial and a large percentage of the people are preparing for whatever trials are in the days ahead. But in this season, we have the privilege to understand what the Corinthians were reading, to say that a majority of us can understand what it's like to be in a trial right now, where this passage doesn't have to apply to something in the future, but a majority of us today can, can understand what it's like to go through a trial. So I ask you today, as you hear these words from 2 Corinthians chapter four, that you would consider how does this apply to my life today? How can this study my faith today? So let's grow in our steadiness as we lean in, as we listen, as we read 2 Corinthians chapter four. We'll begin in verse one. <clears throat> Therefore, since through God's mercy, we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. Let's stop there. So we're gonna see three things in this chapter today uh, about this. How do we find steadiness in the most difficult of seasons? What has God given us to stabilize us in times like this? And so 2 Corinthians chapter four gives us three things. The first thing that we just read is this, is that my ministry motivates steadiness. My ministry motivates steadiness. If you look back to verse one in chapter four, verse one, it says that since through God's mercy, we have this ministry, we don't lose heart. He says, seeing that we have this ministry, the literal translation actually could translate to this kind of ministry, a specific kind of ministry that God has given to us. What kind of ministry is he talking about? He's talking about from the preceding chapter, chapter three, where he lines out all of these incredible parts of ministry that we get to take part in, the kinds of ministry that bring people life, that bring people salvation, that bring them righteousness, that they make them right before God, even when they know how wrong they are, that brings them transformation, that brings them even just meeting their needs. Think about all the different ways that God works in our church, works in our life. These are the kinds of ministry that Paul is talking about. He gives us these moments where we get to see these ministries. And he says, these kinds of ministry need to be protected. These kinds of ministries are motivating us to steadiness. And so I wanna ask you this question today. What, what kind of ministry do you have? What kind of ministry are you a part of? And maybe in the season that we're in, you might have to look back to what kind of ministry did you have six weeks ago? Or did you have eight weeks ago before all of this happened? And I want you to really get that in your mind. What were those things? Some of you might've been serving uh, you know, and teaching Sunday school to seventh graders or helping in the kids ministry or with special needs children. You might've been leading a CG or you might have been a part of a prayer ministry or you might've been in our communities. You are a parent who's discipling your children and that is an important ministry from God. You're ministering to your aging parents. Uh, all of these are different kinds of ministries that God has given to us. And Paul wants us to bring those into our focus this morning because our ministry will motivate our steadiness. The way that you look at your ministry helps to determine how you will fulfill it. 
The way that you look at your personal ministry helps to determine how you fill it because fulfill it. If you view it as a burden instead of as a privilege, then you're probably gonna become very sluggish towards it. You'll, you'll do the minimum required for that ministry. Other people might even feel as though their particular ministry is some sort of punishment from God. God, why would you make me do this? Why would you ask me to do this? And, and some, probably many of us are tempted to take our ministry and to set it aside, especially in seasons like this, or in particular seasons, just to set it to the side and, and wait until it fits nicely into our life. But Paul having this specific attitude towards his ministry, it pushed him through some incredibly difficult seasons, through some shaky days in his life. And so what is your ministry? How do you think about it? Have you dropped it off for some reason? Is there a reason why it was more active last year or last month or 10 years ago? Back to the verse, verse one, it says, because we have this kind of ministry, the ministry that God is partnering with you in, he says, because we have this ministry, we don't lose heart. And that phrase, we don't lose heart, it can also mean not to pull back, we don't shrink back. And so there's something settling to serving. There's something really settling to, to service to ministering to others, to serving others. And I'm sure it's part of what the Bible means when it says that we are made in God's image because of course we know how much God loves to minister to us and do all of these things in our life. And since we're made in his image, it's a part of our wiring. And so if we just set that aside, there becomes a shakiness in our life that we didn't even realize we needed, how much ministry was a part of who we were. His ministry, it motivates this steadiness in our life. And, and, and Paul, he actually lines up three things that might shake up our ministry. He gives us three quick things that I want us to see that might, it might prove our ministry to get shaky. And so the first thing that he, that he does is he says that false teachers might twist the truth. And this can shake our ministry's steadiness. False teachers, if you look back to verse two, it talks about these people who have uh, renounced the secret that the, Paul's saying, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We don't use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth truth, plainly, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. The, the Corinthians would understand that he's talking about some specific people who are twisting truth and he's combating that. That's not a first century idea. That's not something that died off in the first century. This is something that continues on and on and even into this day. Uh, recently, everyone has been kind of, a lot of people have been talking about David Koresh again and the Branch Davidians. And for some reasons, that's because last week in April, it was the um, 27th anniversary of the Branch Davidian compound situation that happened here 27 years ago. Also, it's because Netflix at the top of the screen, it says Waco in big, you know, big letters because Netflix has brought back this drama series that came out a few years ago on TV. Netflix bought it, put it on their platform. And a lot of people are watching this series to learn more about it. But David Koresh, uh, he was an incredible Bible teacher. When I was at Baylor University, my senior year, I took an entire class just on the Branch Davidian, what everything that happened there, David Koresh learning years back, decades back, all the way up until 27 years ago at the fire. And we learned all these things. It was sort of a sociology of religion, you know, learning about this. And the reason that Baylor did this is because Baylor University actually has the largest library of documents from Branch Davidian, uh, from all of the Branch Davidian religion. So all of these different tapes and, you know, different documents that you can read through. It's, I think it's in the Texas library.
library. So we would go down into the Texas library, into the basement, and we would study this stuff. And I had this awesome opportunity. I got to, you know, take these video recordings or audio recordings and, and listen in and study these tapes and be like, you know, how, how is David Koresh able to pull all these people in? And one thing that I learned as I listened in is that David Koresh was an amazing Bible teacher, incredibly gifted Bible teacher that used it for the wrong things that twisted it. He could take the Bible from cover to cover and unpack it and, and just lead you to something that felt like truth, but it was either slightly or greatly twisted. And, and this isn't, and he was convincing people and, and not just people who, who didn't know the Bible or who weren't necessarily educated. He had doctors who, who came and joined his group, very smart individuals. He had people who would leave their homes on the other side of the world, literally to move to this area, to follow him. That's how great of a teacher he was. And Paul is saying, just because somebody can preach the Bible or can, can talk about churchy style things, God style things, doesn't mean it's something that's good for you. It can mess up your ministry. It can bring shakiness into your life. And he says, watch out for these things. They will bring shakiness to your ministry and therefore shakiness to your faith. The second thing that Paul says is that we can be blinded by Satan. Look back to verses three and four. It says that even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ who is the image of God. We can be blinded. And when it says the God of this age, it, notice it's a lower G God. And that, that stands for Satan. That Satan can take all of these things. He can blind us from the ministry that God has given to you that will stabilize, that will steady your life. Satan will blind you. He will blind you with self-doubt. He will blind you with distraction. He will blind you with a bad attitude. He will blind you, especially with things like sin. And he does this and, and it just, he, he, he ruins our ministry. He ruins our steadiness. And so if you find your life feeling shaky and your mindset of ministry is, is, is adrift, you, you might unknowingly be blinded by Satan. And he's holding these things back from you, these better things, these more fulfilling things. Satan is keeping you from seeing those things. And the third and final thing that Paul tells us might shake our ministry is selfish and prideful motives. Selfish and prideful motives from verse five. He says, for that we preach, for what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves for your servants, for Jesus' sake. These selfish and prideful motives can shake our ministry, the ministry that's supposed to provide steadiness. And so I ask you some questions that, that maybe you need to wrestle with. Is your ministry just a bait and switch? Is it some sort of twisted, you know, self-focused, self-serving pride? Is your ministry a servant, some, something that is like a servant to other people? Or is it, is it this kind of a thing where you're a leader who, who wants the attention of those around you in your small group or in the place where God's asked you to minister, where you like that power, where you can build that fan club, where you can build that influence. Because Paul is saying that one of the, the chief enemies to the steadiness that your ministry can provide you is selfish and prideful motives. See, there's a ministry that God has given to you specifically something that he hasn't called me to do, he hasn't called Pastor John to do, the elders of this church, but there's a ministry God's calling you 
towards. And it isn't to be set aside in any season, especially this one. And Paul is saying, here's the proof. Like, look at all of these opponents to my ministry. All of these things, I've got false teachers, blinded, people are blinded by Satan. I've got my own pride that I've got to watch out for and the pride of other people. And yet all of these opponents to my ministry, I still continue and I find steadiness and I don't lose heart and I don't shrink back because I am able to daily fulfill my ministry. And I ask you, how about you? Are you able to daily continue to fulfill that ministry? It's so important, especially, especially in these days. The second thing that, that can bring us steadiness to our faith is this, is that my fragility produces steadiness. My fragility. Go back to the passage in, in verses six through 12. Let's keep reading. For God who said, let light shine out of the darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. I want you to remember that verse that God's light is in us and it shines out of us. That's an important verse as we head into this next section. Verse seven, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard pressed on every side, but not crushed. We're perplexed, but not in despair. We're persecuted, but not abandoned. We're struck down, but not destroyed. We, we always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that his life, his life may also be revealed in our body for we are alive. We who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that life may also be revealed in our mortal bodies. So then death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. Let's stop there. My fragility produces steadiness. I cannot tell you how much I love this section of scripture. It's probably one of my favorite paragraphs in the entire Bible. Verse seven says that we have this treasure in jars of clay. What kind of treasure is he talking about? He's again referencing back. He's saying this treasure of this ministry that God has given to us, as well as in verse six, this light that is inside of us. He's saying this is a treasure from God and it's been put inside of you, this ministry, this light. So our ministry is not held up or held together by ourselves. It's not held up or held together by the circumstances of everything looking good around us, but on God. He protects it. God uses it and we are just these jars of clay that hold it. Because you know this already, but, but what is of value is what is found inside a container, not the container itself. What's of value is what's found inside the container, not the container itself. When Holly and I were dating and we were about to get engaged, I went to this ring shop in town and I ordered a ring and I started to plan our, our engagement. And as I did that, you know, I, I took a specific date and said, we're gonna get engaged on October the 30th of 2014, October 30th, 2014. And so I had the ring kind of planned out to come, you know, a week before. It turned out the ring came like three or four weeks before, but I'd already planned this part and so I had to wait and they gave me the box, right? They gave me the box that had the ring in it. And don't worry, there's no ring in here today, but they gave the box and I took it because I had to wait three weeks and I put it in my bedside table, the little drawer that was there and I hid it in the very back. And every single night I would pull it out and make sure it was still there. But what I didn't do was just make sure it was still there, that the box was still there. Every single night I pulled it out and I looked and I saw that the ring, what was valuable, what I cared about was still there. And I closed it and I put it back in every single night. It wasn't the box that I cared about, it was the ring. 
when Amazon delivers you a package and the cardboard box is destroyed, you know, your first thought is, you know, did I, did, did something break? And so you open the box and everything's fine and, and you don't care about the box. You care about the contents inside. You understand this idea, you get it. And so this is what God is, is giving to us. as we hold these things like this ministry and this light, what is of value is not the vessel, but what the vessel contains. If you think about this, there's, there's a, a kind of a Jewish tradition from the rabbis that they always talk about this idea of wine and this idea that, that wine is, is always, no matter how expensive it is, it is kept in glass. And uh, a lot of times, and maybe your Bible's the King James Version, they use this phrase, the earthen vessels, which is the same thing as jars of clay. But, but this is a quote from this Jewish rabbi. He says this, it's this tradition that just as wine cannot keep well in silver or gold vessels, but only in the lowliest of vessels, these earthen ones, the jars of clay, so the words of God, the words of the Bible, the words of the Torah do not keep well in the one who considers himself to be the same as silver or gold vessels, but only in the one who considers himself to be the same as the lowliest of vessels, the earthen ones, the jars of clay. God does not pour out his treasured ministry, his treasured light into vessels of gold or into vessels of silver, but into the lowliest quality, you and me, the fragile ones, the ones who are struggling. And it's, it's a reminder to us that what is inside is what gives us value, not the container itself, not the situation around us, but what is inside gives us value so that we cannot boast, but we can only put our boast in God. It was at the beginning of 1 Corinthians, Paul says this in his first letters to the, the first letter to the Corinthians, the first chapter, he, he doesn't even get through the first chapter without saying these words, God chose the foolish things to shame the wise. He chose the weak things to shame the strong. He, he chose those that are not to shame those that are. And so if you feel like a cracked pot or, or a chipped vessel today, someone who's worthless, fragile, unworthy of holding such valuable ministry in such important days, then good. It's exactly where God wants you. It's exactly the way that God has designed you and designed his ministry. It reminds me of an incredible story from Judges chapter seven, when Gideon is, is going to attack the enemy. And this, the enemy is this great number. Judges chapter seven says that actually, when they look across, it looks like a sea of locusts. Or if you were to try to count the camels, it would be like trying to count the sand. That's how many enemies there were. And, and God just keeps bringing his numbers down. He keeps saying to Gideon, no, don't bring 10,000, don't bring 5,000. He gets it all the way down to 300 men. And so they have to come up with a strategy to overtake this incredibly large enemy. And what they do is, is, is Gideon gives every one of those 300 men a horn in one hand, a trumpet. And in the other hand, he gives them a lit torch that's covered by a, a earthen vessel, a jar of clay to cover the light. And all 300 of them sneak up at night in the middle of the night and they surround the camp. And at one moment they blast the trumpet and then they crack the vessel and the light is exposed. And from the horn to the crack of that vessel to the light, and then they scream. There's just this roar of sound and all of the enemy just sprints out of the territory because they're afraid. And, and this is what it's like to partner with God in ministry. It's that his light is inside the vessel. And when we are cracked, when we are crushed, when we are chipped, when we are fragile, his light shines through in a powerful way. 
And, and this is the kind of ministry that we get to partner in. It's the fragility that we have. We're so fragile, we're so weak that, that, it, that it is able to show the power of God. I've heard a pastor say it this way before. If the goal is dependence on God, then weakness is my advantage. If the goal is, is that I'm to be dependent on God, then weakness in my life is my advantage. You know, verse seven, it says that this all surpassing power, this incredible thing that God possesses, it's inside of us. And look at what it says in verse seven, it says this all surpassing power is from God. It's not from us. The fact that we are jars of clay that are broken and that are fragile actually shows us that it is from God, not might be from God, but I love that he uses the word is, that it is from God. It shows us and it shows the world. Paul is saying that, that he is most powerful when he is relying the least on his power, on his resources, when he's relying on God. That's why if you read through the New Testament letters and Paul, when he writes, he's always writing about his weaknesses. He's always writing about his struggles. He's always writing about how he is not able, but God is able. It's because he's showing just how fragile he is. And therefore we don't have to rely on our fragile vessel for stability and steadiness. And maybe you've been trying to do that on your own faith, on your own ability, on your own resources, on your job, on your community, on your family. And, and God just says, this is not how I designed it. It's the treasure within you that can sustain you. It's the treasure within you that can steady you through every affliction, through every trial, through every illness, through every struggle. And so Paul says in these verses, he says, press me, I won't be crushed. Confuse me, I will not be in despair. Persecute me, I won't be abandoned. Strike me down, I will not be destroyed. I am but a vessel. It's God's power within me that is about to show off in my ministry. This is the thing that we can hold tightly onto and that can steady our faith, that we are simply just a fragile vessel, but God's power, God's light, God's ministry is in us and it steadies our faith. The third and the final thing uh, that Paul wants us to see is this, is that my attitude, my attitude determines my steadiness. I know it sounds like something your mom would tell you, you know, when you were in middle school and you had a bad attitude but this is what the word of God says, that my attitude actually determines my steadiness. So let's finish this chapter, back to chapter four of 2 Corinthians, verses 13 through 18. It is written, I believed, therefore I have spoken. Since we have that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore we speak, because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. All of this is for your benefit so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. And therefore we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. My attitude determines my steadiness. This is the final point from Paul this morning. In verse 13, he uses this phrase that we can have the same spirit of faith. And you can also think about it this way. We can have the same attitude of faith that, that this person has. And when he talks about in verse 13, he's writing, he says, it is written, it comes right from, uh, from Psalm chapter 116. And in Psalm chapter 116, it says this, I believed and therefore I have spoken. So he's taking it right from there and he's bringing it in. He's saying, we can have the same attitude of faith that this psalmist has. 
My attitude of faith is determined not just by what I believe, but also by what I speak, what comes out of my mouth. It's not sufficient to believe unless you also speak it out. Speak it out to others, of course, in faith and in ministry and in evangelism, but especially speaking it out to yourself, speaking it out to your own heart. Before you can minister to others, before you can share the light of God to others and evangelize with others, you first have to minister to yourself. You have to be in the right attitude of faith. It's so important. And Paul says that, that this is something that we can have too. We can daily do this. We can daily switch our attitude to faith. It was probably four years ago, I was in the lobby of the Life Center here before or after a gathering. And, and some of you know them, Paul and Karen Williams, they're good friends of mine. And, and they uh, had recently just brought in three little foster kids into their home. I, if I'm remembering that, I think it was three kids under five. They already had their daughter, uh, who, who they, who Zoe, who had been with them for a while. And then they added three. So they went from one to four overnight, basically. And uh, you know their foster story was a big reason why Holly and I began fostering. We got to know them better and get to babysit and love their kids. And, and in the midst of that, right when it was beginning, it had probably been a month or two. And I remember seeing Paul in the lobby and I remember seeing in his eyes before I asked him a single question that he was tired, that he was struggling, that he was frustrated, probably getting all the kids, you know, wrangled and getting there. And I remember asking him four years ago, Hey Paul, how are you doing? Knowing what he probably would say, man, it's been hard. It's been tough. You know, pray for us. And instantly out of his mouth, he said, brother, we're pressed, but not crushed. See, he didn't just believe it, he spoke it. And that was, that was a, a moment for me that happened between me and Paul that, that, that has stuck with me. That idea that, that even in the most difficult of seasons, the hardest of times, even when things are really difficult, to be able to not just believe something, but say it, it really changes your attitude. And for the last three or four years after that you know, interaction with Paul, I've just been thinking about that, that, that Lord, I'm pressed, but I'm not crushed. It changes my attitude. It changes the way that I view these things around me. And it was the profound words of the recently converted Kanye West and one of his, his worship uh, and, and Christian songs that he put out last year where he said this phrase, switch your attitude. Switch, you know, he said it this way, switch your, switch your attitude. <laughs> and, and I think about that, that there's just this, sometimes it's just that simple that we just need to switch our attitude to faith and, and things change. It's not just believing it, but it's, it's speaking it. It's this unrecognized simplicity. It's these little small things that we don't think about. There was a bank in the Los Angeles area that was continuing to get robbed over and over and over again. And as it was robbed, uh, they, they tried to put in new systems, new securities, new police officers. They did everything they could, but it was continuing to be the number one robbed bank in America, no matter what they did. And it wasn't until this intern walks in and says, hey, what if we just parked a cop car right in the, in the parking lot, right by the front door? Maybe that would stop everything. And instantly, all of the robberies stopped. It was an unrecognized simplicity. And I think for many of us, we are, we are unsteady right now. Our, our life is, is a little bit unstable, even for the strongest of believers who are on this stream this morning. But there's an unrecognized simplicity that, that sometimes it's not just what we believe, but it's what we say. When someone calls you and says, how are you doing? What do you say? When you pray, when you, when you think about your day, what do you say? What do you think? It's not just what you believe, it's what you say. The unrecognized simplicity here is that we need to check our attitude of faith. What is our attitude of faith? Is it anxiousness? 
Is it, is it that we're afraid? Is, that we're, is it that we're doubting? And so the good news for us as we wrap up this morning is that Paul gives us things that can switch our attitude. He literally is trying to show us what can switch our attitude today. What are some things we can hold on to that we don't just have to believe, but that we can say and that it'll change our steadiness of our faith. And if you're not a Christian today, or if you've wandered away from God, we want you to know that, that these things that we're about to see, you can have these things. You can be steadied on these things. Your attitude, your faith can be rock solid in these things. And so, you know, after this sermon, there's gonna be another time of, of response. You can text in right now to this number. You can, uh, you can text in then to the number 512-843-2028. It'll come on the screen again later. You can say, hey, I, I have questions about this. I wanna respond to this. Maybe I even wanna give my life to Christ. These things can change everybody's life. It can change everybody's attitude of faith. And Paul gives us these three things. The first thing that you can be sure of in Christ, you can have assurance of ultimate victory and that can change your attitude. Assurance of ultimate victory. Verse 14, it tells us this, that because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. Even death isn't final for you if you are in Christ. Even death isn't final for you. And so you can have assurance of ultimate victory. God, he, he is so faithful, even in death. Paul, in, in another letter, he would say it this way to the Philippians. He would say, to live is Christ, I'm gonna do my ministry. To die is gain. To die is victory because I'm with Christ. This can be sure in your life. It can switch your attitude. You don't have to just believe it. You can say it. The second thing that Paul gives us is there's assurance of grace and glory. Look at verse 15, assurance of grace and glory. All of this is for your benefit. All the tough stuff, all the hard stuff, all the good stuff, all of it is for your benefit so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. There's grace for us and there's glory for God. God always gives us the grace to get through. God always gives us the grace to get through that will bring him the glory and bring us good. Whatever that means in his sovereign understanding, he always is faithful. We can be sure of that and it can change our attitude that we're gonna receive grace from God and we can give glory to him in every circumstance and in all things. And the final assurance for us is the assurance of redemption. The assurance of redemption and even of renewal Verses 16 through 18. Therefore, we don't lose heart. Outwardly, we're wasting away. Inwardly, we're being renewed. For our light and momentary troubles, they're achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs all of them. So we fix our eyes, not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. We have this assurance of redemption that all things will be worked together, even the trials, even COVID-19, even the, the losing of your job or the struggling that is ahead, all of these things can be worked together, can be renewed, can be redeemed in God. It's, it's the runner who realizes that though they're in pain now, they're producing something greater in the long run. They're producing endurance. They're producing heart health. They're, they're burning calories. All of these things, the light and momentary moments of struggle, they're nothing compared to, to the bigger picture. And this is for us too. I've, I've heard it said this way before. It's to our soul's advantage that outwardly we're, that we're wasting away. Our soul is at an advantage 
because we're wasting away. It's developing something in us so we don't lose heart. We, we don't lose our steadiness. We don't have a bad attitude of faith, but we have a good attitude of faith, a good biblical attitude of faith, like from the book of Psalm chapter 116, like from this chapter, 2 Corinthians chapter four, we fix our eyes on what is unseen. We set our faith on not, not on what we see, but what, on what we do not see. And these troubles are momentary compared to this eternal glory. And so the question for all of us is, is our attitude an attitude of faith or is it an attitude of something lesser? Steadiness is determined by your attitude of faith. See, the Bible, it's full of heroes who struggled with steadiness. And over and over and over again, it shows us that, the, that, that God is faithful that God is steady and that he stabilized their faith. And so be encouraged. The only reason that we can have a steady faith is because we have a steady God. That can be your encouragement today. The only reason we have a steady faith is that we have a steady God. And because we have a steady God, we have a ministry that motivates our steadiness. And we have a fragility that produces our steadiness. And we have an attitude of faith that determines our steadiness because we partner with God in ministry and because we have his light in us. We are but jars of clay containing what is his. Let's pray. Father, I ask you that you would, Lord, you would just bring encouragement like what Second Corinthians chapter four says, Lord, that we are pressed but not crushed. Lord, that we are confused, but we're not in despair. We're, we're persecuted, we're not abandoned, we're struck down, but we're not destroyed. Father, would you give us an attitude of faith like that? Not just something that we believe, that we read, that we listen to, but that we say. God, make us people who believe it and who say it. God, I ask that, that whatever ministry you have called us to, anyone on this stream, anyone who's listening, Lord, I ask that you would remind them of the ministry that you've called them to. Lord, and that you would encourage them not to set it aside, but to pick it up because these are the days where your light needs to shine in the darkness, Lord. And Lord, I just pray that, that any weaknesses that we have, Lord, that we would not let that shy us away from ministry, that we would not let us shy us away from the steadiness of being used by you, but Lord, that we would trust that your light and your strength and your power, it shines through our weaknesses, through the broken vessels that we are. And so, Lord, we thank you that we can partner with you, the one who is strong and powerful and righteous and can carry us through difficult seasons that can steady our faith. Lord, we only can have a steady faith because of you. It's in Jesus' name we ask these things and we pray. Amen.